Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, the Christmas present by Rick Mall Crompton. Is that how you say her name? Rich Mall? I'm not sure. I assumed it was Rich Mall because it's spelled like Richard. Yeah. Um, I When I first read this story, I had no idea if it was a man or a woman who was named Rich Mall. Um, I hadn't really heard of the person. I think I found it on LibriVox first. And I'm sort of a sucker for Christmas stories. Um, <laughs> you know, like ones with the word Christmas in the title. Because uh-huh. I I really like Christmas. I think it's 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 fun. It's it's like Halloween is number one and Christmas is number two. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but you don't get a lot of stories with Halloween in the title. There's the Halloween tree, but there's a lot of Christmas stories with Christmas in the title. A Christmas Carol being probably the most famous one. Um, and when I first read this story, I thought it was really good in the way that I like stories students and they said the things that uh i said when i first read it or expressed and yet the more i look at it the more i'm worried about this story so i'm very curious yes very worried about it um i'm very curious to hear what you're you're thinking about it um but uh, i think everybody else should experience it as well (laughs) Uh, I, I think that's a great idea. I, I would like to say one little thing, though, to uh, to frame it, as you did. You know, you thought one thing, but now you're worried about it. I hadn't heard of Rich Mall Crompton either. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I looked up this name, it turns out that in the 30s and such, she was a best-selling author. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she had a series of books that were translated into many languages. I mean, she was a genuinely significant author in mm-hmm. terms of readership and then just dropped away. So I'm wondering whether or not it's not just you seeing something you like and then on reflection, I'm wondering, maybe there's something about the way her whole career is that is appealing and then maybe not so much. Mm-hmm. So it's a thought. I, I will point out um, that even though I, I, like you, was not familiar with her name, I was kind of vaguely familiar with her her creations, you know, the Just uh, William stories. I'd heard of them. Uh, similar um, uh, Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett uh, was inspired by uh, Just William. You know, there's a kind of thread, literary thread, that although the name might not be familiar the um, genre and the sort of style is something with, you know, if we're if we're literary people and we're spending our time reading stuff, we sort of get through osmosis even if we haven't read. And I w- that that thread I was familiar with, and of course I see it now in reading the story. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do it then. Sounds good. The Christmas Present by Rich Mall Crompton. Mary I looked out of the window of the old farmhouse. The view was dreary enough, hill and field and woodland, bare, colorless, mist-covered, with no other house in sight. She had never been a woman to crave for company. She liked sewing. She was passionately fond of reading. 
she was not fond of talking. Probably she could have been very happy at Chrome Farm alone. But her marriage, before her marriage, she had looked forward to the long evenings with her sewing and reading. She knew that she would be busy enough for the day, for the farmhouse was old and rambling, and she was to have no help in the housework. But she looked forward to quiet, peaceful, lamplit evenings, and only lately, after 10 years of married life, had she reluctantly given up the hope of them. For peace was far enough from the old farm kitchen in the evening. It was driven away by John Clay's loud voice, raised always in orders or complaints or in the stumbling, incoherent reading aloud of his newspaper. Mary was a silent woman herself and a lover of silence, but John liked to hear the sound of his voice. He liked to shout at her, to call for her from one room to another. Above all, he liked to hear his voice reading the paper out loud to her in the evening. She dreaded that most of all. It had lately seemed to jar on her nerves till she felt she must scream aloud. His voice going on and on, raucous and sing-song became unspeakably irritating. His Mary summoning her from her housework to wherever he happened to be. His get my slippers or bring me my pipe exasperated her almost to the point of rebellion. Get your own slippers had trembled on her lips, but had never passed them for she was a woman who could not bear anger. Noise of any kind appalled her. She had borne it for ten years, so surely she could go on with it. Yet today, as she gazed hopelessly at the wintry countryside, she became acutely conscious that she could not go on with it. Something must happen. Yet what was there that could happen? It was Christmas next week. She smiled ironically at the thought. Then she noticed the figure of her husband coming up the road. He came in at the gate and round to the side door. Mary! She went slowly in answer to his summons. He held a letter in his hand. Met the postman, he said, from your aunt. She opened the letter and read it in silence. Both of them knew quite well what it contained. She wants us to go over for Christmas again, said Mary. He began to grumble. She's as deaf as a post. She's most as deaf as her mother was. She ought to know better than to ask folks over when she can't hear a word anyone says. Mary said nothing. He always grumbled about the invitation at first, but really he wanted to go. He liked to talk with her uncle. He liked the chance of going down to the village for a few days and hearing all its gossip. He could well leave the farm to the hands for that time. The crude deafness was proverbial. Mary's great-grandmother had gone stone deaf at the age of 35. Her daughter had inherited the affliction, and her granddaughter, the aunt with whom Mary had spent her childhood, had inherited it also at exactly the same age. All right, he said at last, grudgingly, as though in answer to her silence, we'd better go, right, and say we'll go. It was Christmas Eve. They were in the kitchen of her uncle's farmhouse. The deaf old woman sat in her chair by the fire, knitting. Upon her sunken face, there was a curious sardonic smile that was her habitual expression. The two men stood in the doorway. Mary sat at the table looking 
aimlessly out of the window. Outside, the snow fell in blinding showers. Inside, the fire gleamed onto the copper pots and pans, the crockery on the old oak dresser, the hams hanging from the ceiling. Suddenly, James turned. Jane, he said. The deaf woman never stirred. Jane! Still, there was no response upon the enigmatic old face by the fireside. Jane! She turned slightly towards the voice. Get them photos from upstairs to show John, he bawled. What about boats, she said. Photos, roared her husband. Coats, she quavered. Mary looked from one to the other. The man made a gesture of irritation and went from the room. He came back with a pile of picture postcards in his hand. It's quicker to do a thing oneself, he grumbled. They're what my brother sent from Switzerland, where he's working now. It's a fine land to judge from the views of it. John took them from his hand. She gets worse, he said, looking, nodding towards the old woman. She was sitting, gazing at the fire. Her lips curved into the curious smile. Her husband shrugged his shoulders. Aye, she's nigh as bad as her mother was. And her grandmother. Aye, it takes longer to tell her to do something than to do it myself. And deaf folks get a bit stupid, too. Can't see what you mean. They're best let alone. The other man nodded and lit his pipe. Then James opened the door. The snow stopped, he said. Shall we go to the end of the village and back? The other nodded and took his cap from behind the door. A gust of cold air filled the room as they went out. Mary took a paperback book from the table and came over to the fireplace. Mary. She started. It was not the sharp, querulous voice of the deaf old woman. It was more like the voice of the young aunt, whom Mary remembered in childhood. The old woman was leaning forward, looking at her intently. Mary. A happy Christmas to ye. And as if in spite of herself, Mary answered in her ordinary low tones. The same to you, Auntie. Thank ye, thank ye. Mary gasped. Aunt, can you hear me speaking like this? The old woman laughed silently, rocking to and fro in her chair, as if with pent-up merriment of years. Yes, I can hear ye, child. I've always heard ye. Mary clasped her hand eagerly. Then, you're cured? And I, I'm cured as far as there ever was anything to be cured. You, I was never deaf, child, nor never will be, please God. I've took you all in fine. Mary stood up in bewilderment. You, never deaf? The old woman chuckled again. No, nor my mother, nor her mother, neither. Mary shrank back back from her. I, I don't know what you mean, she said unsteadily. Have you been pretending? I'll make you a Christmas present of it, dearie, said the old woman. My mother made me a Christmas present of it when I was your age, and her mother made her one. I haven't a lass of my own to give it to, so I give it to you. It can come on quite sudden if you want it, and then you can hear what you choose and not hear do you see? She leant nearer and whispered, You're shut out of it all. 
of having to fetch and carry for them, answer their daft questions and run their errands like a dog. I've watched you, lass. You don't get much peace, do you? Mary was trembling. I don't know what to think, she said. I, I, I couldn't do it. Do what you like, said the old woman. Take it as a present anyways. The crew deafness for a Christmas present, she chuckled. Use it or not as you like. You'll find it main amusing anyways. And into the old face there came again that curious smile as if she carried in her heart some jest fit for the gods on Olympus. The door opened suddenly with another gust of cold air and the two men came in again covered with fine snow. I'll, I'll not do it, whispered Mary, trembling. We didn't get far. It's coming on again, remarked John, hanging up his cap. The old woman rose and began to lay the supper silently and deftly, moving from cupboard to table without looking up. Mary sat by the fire, motionless and speechless, her eyes fixed on the glowing coals. Any signs are the deafness in her, whispered James, looking towards Mary. It come on my wife just when she was that age. Aye, so I've heard. Then he said loudly, Mary! A faint pink color came into her cheeks, but she did not show by look or movement that she had heard. James looked significantly at her husband. The old woman stood still for a minute with a cup in each hand and smiled her slow, subtle smile. Is there a, um, a sort of a mistake there at the end? James looked significantly at her husband. I, I think that's a mistake, right? No, I think James, by looking at Mary, is indicating with his eyes that John needs to pay attention to what Mary is, how Mary is behaving. Yeah, but it says her husband, right? So, it, Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, James is looking at... I, it, it's so funny. I didn't even notice it all the times I read it until just now. James looks significantly at his... Well, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense, but I, we're so prepped for the ending, I just noticed yeah. that that doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> Some sort of typo there. You missed it. I missed it. Um that's interesting, right? No, wait a minute. James has asked John if Mary is showing any signs of deafness. Mm -hmm. Right? A faint, faint pink color came into her oh, cheeks. Oh, okay. I'm getting it so now. So James is now looking at John and saying, see, she didn't right, answer Right, right, you. right. It's the relationship. Yes. That makes sense. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting thrown well, off. Uh, well, easy enough when you're not hearing at all. <laughs> Um, in fact, that's um, that's that's one of the things I really like about this is this reminds me of a sort of a little, you know, you, you have an inside joke with family members or close friends. There's one, um, uh, my mom's in the other room or something, and she'll say, Jesse, can you get the whatever? And I'm like, what'd you say? And she says, you're going deaf. And I say, what'd you say? <laughs> it's kind of a little game. I'm pretending to be deaf. Um, in order to <laughs> just point out how funny that is. Sure. Of course. Um, so the um, this so style like this at first, but now oh, yeah. you're, you've got some questions. Yeah. Like, so I, I was thinking like why I like this story, because it's not science fiction, really. Right? It's not fantasy, Hardly. really. Uh, it doesn't really classify in that direction. But um, it reminds me a lot of. 
a lot of stories from this period that are it's 1922, good. by the way. Right. Published in 1922. Uh, that, that are good, um, and I've appreciated them, but they're not my my hobby. You know, they're not my hobby horse, the thing I really care about. So why are they interesting? So, like, The Gift of the Magi by um, O. Henry. It's kind of a surprise story like this. Also a Christmas story, right? Um, this story has a Christmas present, but the present isn't a physical object that is, um, you know, transferable only one direction. You can keep it. It's infinitely replicable. But it's a secret present um, in that you don't uh, share it with everybody. Other, otherwise, it's not effective, right? Um, and so w one of my students said something um, uh, when the line, we read the line, I was never deaf child, nor uh, nor never will be, please God. I took you all in fine. And he said spontaneously, kind of sad. And that is my point, is like, this is a very amusing story. We appreciate it. But the, these are two women apparently child one of them's childless for sure the other one seems to be childless after 10 years of marriage both started pretending to be deaf at age 35 in order to not have to be the slaves of their husbands um and yet it's a a funny cute story so i like could we write a story have people buy it no they would say it's a retro story right it doesn't it feels like an old-fashioned story um and that is kind of like weird that feeling that oh this is like the O. henry story where you know he sell she sells her hair and he buys her a comb <laughs> with his gold watch she she sells her hair so she can buy him a chain for his gold watch he sells his gold watch so she can he can buy her a comb um, the gift they gave each other is uh, that they love each other, right? That they'll do anything mm -hmm. for each other. It's beautiful. It, it, it's about poverty, but um, we don't really mind because they're rich in other ways. Here, it's a coping mechanism. And the only thing that's redeeming here for, for us, if we think of it as you know human beings, is that it's a coping mechanism rather than a like she's uh, the aunt is always smiling um, because she's had a joke she's put one over on her husband and and even her her uh, niece but that's really kind of sad I, I certainly see how you can take it that way I can certainly see how your student takes it that way I differ from you a bit in uh, in of these stories I think the gift of the magi is not for me finally a happy story um, for me the gift of the magi uh, is one in which I think at the end yes they have love but how terrible that they live in a world where people of such wonder still have to sacrifice so hard just to express their loves mm. And and I find the gift of the Magi to be uh, something that, I mean, it's called the Magi. You know, it, it reminds us of the story of Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, it's fine if what you're doing is um, giving something of value 
and you have much else, the Magi all have lots, um, to, to God. But to have to give your most precious thing just to another person, ah, the world is constructed wrong. So mm. I find the gift of the Magi quite bittersweet. Oh, yeah, now, it's this, poignant, poignant. But her hair will grow back. And, you know, his his watch, well, I can I can tell you on the evidence of uh, this pandemic having kept me from <laughs> getting a haircut for five months. It takes quite a while. <laughs> it takes quite a while. And being a woman with short hair in those days meant sure. something. It was not good. Uh, but this story, um, I think it is sad, but it's sad looking at it now, 100 years later. Mm. I think at the time. What's wonderful about the story is that it is such a clear feminist story. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it looks like, uh, given uh, a shallow reading, that it's an ableist story. It makes fun of deaf people. And uh, we have that little joke about photos, boats, yeah. you know, coats. Um, <laughs> and, and, of course, the husband, uh, that is the aunt, the uncle, says, um, and deaf people get a little stupider too. They can't see what you're saying. <laughs> of course, no one can see what you're saying. You know, you're mixing your metaphors here, folks. Seeing isn't the only thing for understanding. They can't hear what you're saying, but you get it wrong. Men get it wrong. This guy, John, the husband yeah. likes to raise his voice. He likes to, to, uh, to hear the sound of his own voice. Whereas Mary would just, just as soon be silent. I think the opening paragraph is brilliant in setting out the differences between husband and wife, between silence and solitude. And the question that I get in this from the very first paragraph, and then it's confirmed when I see that the hands are left to the farm while Mary and John go into the village is, why did she marry him at all? Indeed. And the only answer is she is she's been born into a world where women's opportunities are so radically, radically constrained that a man thinks that he's opening it up the world to her by forcing her to listen to him reading the newspaper mm -hmm. while at her aunt's house, when she thinks she has a moment to herself, she immediately opens a real book. There's a difference between men and women. And from the very opening, Mary Clay has shown yeah. that she has been shaped by John Clay. And in fact, they are all shaped by the world they live in. And these women have found a way to turn disability into ability. So what looks like it might be an ableist story turns out to be an anti-ableist story and a pro-feminist story. Mm -hmm. I am sad. I agree with your student completely. I'm sad that these people live in a time when the best a woman can do is to stifle her anger and further limit her capabilities. Yeah. The point the, where a the, man will understand that they're limited. But the fact that she's clever enough to pull it off... <laughs> I'm on her side. Uh, yeah, it, it is it, the the passing on of secret knowledge, right? 
the that it's not just her it's a it's a proverbial deafness right it comes on real sudden uh, <laughs> age 35 right at christmas we, at christmas um and he says has your wife shown any signs and he says calls over to her yep she's shown the signs because she's we know in those final lines that she's made her decision yep yep and 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 the fact that she both her aunt and herself seem to be childless it's like um well the grandmother you know this is a coping mechanism for you and the the mother this is a coping mechanism for you and then somehow childless well i wouldn't i would have passed it on to my own daughter if i had one but i didn't have one so i'm passing it on to you this passing on of secret knowledge, it is a gift. It is it a is. gift. A real I gift. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I don't think that the lack of daughter or son, for that matter, <laughs> for either the aunt or, or Mary, I don't think that's coincidental. I think what we're seeing, I think what Crompton is showing us is that as women become more and more clever at evading the demands of men they are less and less likely to have children at all mm -hmm. remember mary was raised by her aunt the aunt was childless on her own mm -hmm. mary is childless and so um i can't help but but note the biography here that rich mall crompton despite writing that wonderful best-selling series of uh, william stories novels um she never married and this story is published when she herself is 32. Mm -hmm. uh, now, she had a severe bout of polio, as I'm sure you know, um, at 23 that left her without the use of her right leg. And she spent most of the rest of her life wheelchair bound. Uh, one could argue that, well, she didn't marry because no man would have her. Mm. But I think that's clearly wrong. I think mm. that someone who can come to a marriage in that era in England uh, who can bring money with her could certainly have found someone uh, quite happy to, to cohabit with her and share a life with her. She didn't want it. This is a picture of Mary we get in the beginning. She could quite happily have been quiet. And what makes her such a good writer, well, one of the things that makes her such a good writer is that we see Mary confronting two things. One, the bleak, cold winter land. Mm -hmm. And two, the loud, demanding husband. It turns out that in and of herself, she has the resources to deal quite well with the, the, the bleak and cold land. What she can't do in herself is deal with a demanding husband. And so she withdraws which is what Rich Mal Crompton seems to have done. Mm -hmm. This is it's a, a, a powerful, a, powerfully interesting it, yeah. period piece that still works today. Well, at the very least, it's in praise of solitude. It's in praise of reading. It's in praise of thinking and the sufficiency of the life of the mind. Um, that's not what I would have expected to get from a feminist story in particular, but I think that's what we get from this one.
I mean, does that seem wrong to you that it's no, I think it's really it. a gift for us? <laughs> I think it of it that way, absolutely. In fact, I've given Christmas presents of actual Christmas stories as gifts because I think, oh, this is so good. This will make a great Christmas present. <laughs> but you have to read it today. <laughs> uh, right. So the, the title has that extra meaning. It does. It looks like here, as with pretty much any well-written story, there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.com.